Job's name was not just great on earth. Job's name was great in heaven. Do you understand that God never said, hey, Satan, have you heard of my boy, Job Miles? He didn't use the last name. He didn't have to. Because when the name of Job was spoken in heaven, everybody knew who God was talking about. Because faith gets you recognized in the throne room of heaven. Faith does that. Being upright does that. I don't know about you, but I want to be famous in heaven. That's what I want. You know, you can take your fame down here. I want to be famous in heaven. When my name is spoken up in heaven, when there's millions of autumns that have have crossed to and fro across this earth, I want when the name autumn is spoken in heaven, everybody knows who it is. Job was valuable in the visible and the invisible and the temporal and the eternal. It's time now for the Autumn Miles Show. Let's go! Hey, hey, guys. It's your girl, Autumn Miles. Are you guys ready for this? I don't know if you are ready for this series. You guys, we are starting Job today. Today is part one of Job, and I have got so much to tell you. I'm not going to do a ton of cross-referencing today because I have so much to tell you just strictly about the text of Job. But let me tell you something. You do not want to miss one week of this series. Already today, I have studied this morning. I don't even, what time is it? I have studied this morning for three and a half hours already. And I just feel very much like this is word for you and for people that are struggling in your life. And it's going to bring context to the struggle. You know, I don't want to give too much away because we got stuff to get to first. Um, But anyway, join me after the break. You're not going to want to miss it. Job 1 starts today. What is happening in my life? Well, big, I just want to kind of share this whole story with you. And I know some people from our community, uh, you know, listen along and, and I love that about them. They're so, so our community is amazing, y'all, but it has to do with my son in the football team. And so that's why a little disclaimer there. My son, Jude is 14. No, no, he's 15. He just had a birthday. He's been playing football his entire life. I mean, I think he played in kindergarten. He might have started in first grade. Okay. Cause I, that's when you start, but he's been playing football his whole life. I have talked about it on our show before, especially during football season in the fall. And I was just talking to Mike, Mike's son plays college football and which is our producer. And we were just talking about it. And There's nothing like watching your son play sports. To me, I'm one of those crazy psycho parents who is so proud of their kid. We scream, we yell, we cheer. We, you know, sometimes we yell at the officials or every game when we feel like there's a bad call or something. Eddie and I are in the stands. Eddie even has a watching my son play football stance. He angles his body in such a way, and my husband is incredibly laid back, but he angles his body in such a way, I know that he's incredibly tense. He doesn't want me to talk to him. He doesn't really want anyone to talk to him. Although he's the nicest person on the planet when it comes to Moses and Jude playing football, he really likes to watch every play. He likes to know every call. He likes to know if he thinks they're doing well no matter what the coaches think they're doing. And most of the time he does agree with the coaches, but sometimes we're, you know, we're parents. So we're a little bit biased, but it is that season. And my son this year is, I hope he doesn't mind. I'm gonna have to ask him permission. If he gives me permission, this will be in the recording. But if he says, mom, don't share that, I will take it out. At the beginning of the year, you know, he's so young, he's a sophomore, but he's a young sophomore. And 
he is really, really good at, you know, for his age at, at football. And he really wanted to play varsity. Okay. What kid doesn't want to play varsity in school? Like what kid doesn't? He really wanted to play varsity. And after the whole summer of practicing, they were going to put him on JV. And we had this pep rally and he had to wear the JV jersey. And he's like, mom, I mean, I guess it's okay if I'm on JV. Like, you know, I'm just happy I get to play and all this kind of stuff. And he was kind of really down on the whole situation. And we had a conversation in the car about this very thing. We know what he can do because we've watched it. And he knows what he can do because he's done it. And, you know, these coaches are, are new. Um, some of them are new and they, they don't really know Jude. But we had this conversation in the car that did something to his faith. And I just want to share a little bit about it with you. When he was saying, I guess it's JV. I guess it's, that's what it is. You know, I can't do anything about it. I looked at him and said, son, in practice, are you doing the best that you can? the best that you can. He said, yeah, mom, I'm trying my hardest. Are you being respectful? Yes, mom, I'm being respectful. He's young. And so the younger kids, they put on, you know, JV rather than varsity. And I said, can you do anything about your age? Can you make yourself older? No, he's a smaller lineman. Can you do anything about your size? Is it your fault that you are six foot as opposed to six foot three as at 15 years old. No, I can't do anything about that. Okay. Everything that you can do something about, you do it. But these things that you can't do anything about, you've got to leave them to the Lord. Can you do anything about these things? No. Well, then that's when your faith kicks in. You trust the Lord and you say, God, Make up my deficit for me. This is my desire to be on varsity. Make up my deficit for me. It was a great conversation that I had with him that day. He was still on JV, but a couple of days later, you guys, he comes home and he said, mom, I got to practice with varsity today. I'm like, that is amazing, son. Look, God is already working. You didn't beg for it. You just did it the best you can do. And you prayed, God, make up the deficit. He said, yeah, mom, that's exactly what I prayed for. This was a couple weeks ago. And I am so happy to inform you the first game they had last Friday, he started on varsity. And I sat there in the stands watching my precious little 15-year-old son that's learning faith thinking to myself, God, you did this. You answered his prayer because sometimes we just have to face reality. Listen, is he going to be any older? Nope. You cannot attach more years onto his life. Okay. Can we make him taller? No, we cannot. But God can give favor for the deficit. And it was such a beautiful thing. He went and he played. He did a really good job. I was terrified the whole time. He did such a good job. And after that game, we were able to have that same conversation again. Do you see what God does when we say everything I can control, I'm going to give my best at, but what I can't, God, I trust you to fill in the deficit. And, um, he started, he played almost the whole game. I was so proud of him. You know, then he comes home, he's like, they're probably going to put me back on JV. And I'm like, oh my goodness, then. But they didn't. He's still on varsity. And we're really, really proud of him. So have those conversations with your kids. You know, be bold with your kids. Sometimes you just need to shake your kids out of their young mindset. Share your old faith with their young mind. Share your mature faith with their immature uh, belief about God. Be bold, contradict what they see and show them what your eyes of faith see. And it's powerful. It's powerful when they get it. So that's what's happening in my life. I will be back after the break. I cannot wait for this amazing series on Job. 
I'll see you in a sec. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. What do you do when you can relate more to Jezebel, Rahab, or Eve, rather than Esther or Mary? To her shock, author Autumn Miles discovered most of the heroes of the Bible were plagued with the same problem. They were ordinary people who sinned deeply, but God's love, mercy, and truth proved greater. In her book, I Am Rahab, Autumn provides a better understanding of God with a focus on the breadth of His reach to use and redeem all things for His purposes. You will find comfort in relating to Rahab the biblical harlot and to Autumn's own raw story of surviving domestic abuse and will be encouraged to know you are not alone in a life disrupted by bad choices, nor are you meant to stay there. You can move forward from your past and have an abundant future. To find out how you can get a copy of I Am Rahab, go to autumnmiles.com and click on the Books tab. That's autumnmiles.com. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Okay, guys, I am back. Joe, part one. Can you tell I'm excited? I feel like I was just sharing with my team a little bit here. This message that I'm bringing to you today uh, didn't come without a cost on my end. And I just want to tell you, you know, Instagram is great and social media is great and all that kind of stuff. But I just want you to know that I pay for this stuff in uh, satanic attacks in many different ways. Your pastor, every time he gets up on stage, he has to, he writes a message or, or she, whoever, wherever you are, but they also fight a war. And I want you to know that I have fought a war and I'm still in the middle of it, you know, a little bit in my life right now. You know, my kids are fine. My marriage is fine, but just other external things. And I think that brings some credibility to what we're getting ready to do. I just want you to know I needed to record this morning. As a matter of fact, I almost asked Mike if we could record earlier. Um, but I, it was crazy. I was on the phone with someone yesterday and I was kind of explaining to them what has happened and asking them for prayer. And they say, wow, that sounds a lot like the life of Job. And Eddie and I like freeze. And I said, funny you should say that because I'm recording week one of Job tomorrow. So I just want you to know that, that I'm, I'm living, you know, not to this extreme, but there is Job seasons in the life of the faithful. There is times when you look at your life and you say, where is God? And I want you to know that this whole series, I'm going to go until I'm done. I'm not going to do this week one, week two, week three, week four. This very well may be like the wilderness last fall. This is kind of our kickoff series to the fall. And I just felt the Lord told, tell me this morning, go until you're done. Go until I tell you it's time. So we're going to be in Job a lot in the next you know month or so. And I'm going to just download to you what God has told to me. But this whole series goes out to the faithful. Okay. Everyone out there, I felt like last week when we talked about Zacharias and Elizabeth, it struck a chord because they were faithful and they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it. Now, you know, they had to wait, but they got more than they wanted. But we need to speak to the faithful. And that's what I want this series to be focused on because that's who Job was. So if you're faithful out there and you're like, I am experiencing some extraordinary difficulties, maybe it's in your health, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in, you know, the loss of a child. Maybe it's in the loss of money or something. But you're up against 
an extraordinary trial that somewhere in our brains, we feel like because we're faithful, we shouldn't have to go through. This entire series is going to focus on the why behind that, the character of God in that, and how we persevere through that, okay? This is for the faithful. I want to read this passage of scripture that's not in Job, but it has saved my life and my butt a lot. It is this. You, David is speaking, you, talking about God, you, who have shown me many troubles and distresses, will revive me again. You will bring me up from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. You have shown me many troubles and distresses. Will revive me again. You will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. You will revive me again. Lord, I pray over this series right now. Spirit of the living God, do what I couldn't. Encourage uplift, comfort those that are listening that know they've been faithful. Encourage the minister, encourage the pastor, encourage the burnt out business leader, encourage the mom who's like, I just am so tired, but I'm faithful. Encourage the dad that goes to work every day, just grinding upon grinding upon grinding to provide for his family who's just tired. Spirit of the living God through this whole series, anoint it, set it apart, bless it. God, we know how specific and powerful and life-changing and living your word is. So I pray, God, that you multiply the effects of this message for your glory and for your name, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off by reading, just going straight into uh, Job 1. Now, today, we're only going to get to 12 verses because I couldn't do any more, guys. These 12 verses are insanely packed with amazing content. And I'm going to focus on these first and then throughout the weeks to come, we'll, we'll really dissect. We'll actually probably go back to these a lot. Here we go. Job one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions Also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And the man was the greatest of all the men in the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them. So 10. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power only Do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. It's important for us to know who Job was to understand what Job went through. His name is pronounced Eob. It's not really pronounced Job in Hebrew. Eob, Eob. You can say that for yourself 50 times if you want. Or you can just call him Job. His name means hated or persecuted. And this is really significant as you find out what happens in the chapters and even the latter part of the passage of scripture that I just showed you. I want you to remember that his name means hated or persecuted. But why? Why would he be hated or persecuted? Because this is who Job was. I want to read to you the characteristics behind who Job was. He was a man. He lived in the land of Uz. Okay. The Bible says he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. I want to focus on this just for a second. We need to break this down. Because these few words contain the reason for the next 42 chapters of Job. Job was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Those are the first words besides his name and where he lived that the Bible uses to talk about who he was. It uses the characteristics of his character and his relationship with God to tell you first who he was. He was, and let me just go back to my notes here. Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. The judgment of God on Job, this is powerful is that he was blameless, upright, not just in deed, but in character. You know, a lot of times we can fake being people of character, but Job wasn't like that. The fact that he was blameless meant that he lived a holy life. He lived his life based on, at that time, the Ten Commandments. He obeyed them. He went above and beyond when it came to them. If there was someone to be blamed about anything, it couldn't be him. That's a really hard characteristic to own. And yet God assigned it to Job. He was upright, which means he had integrity. He had integrity in business. He had integrity we'll find with his children. He had integrity in his marriage. He had integrity with his servants who, and the people who worked for him. He had integrity in the land. He was known as this. He turned away from evil. He was faced with evil, but he turned away from evil. He was sincere in his religion. He wasn't perfect but he honored the commandments. He was faithful in his promises. He was steady in his counsels. Thank you, Michael Henry, for this. He was God-fearing. And that is the one thing that governed everything he did. Now, he wasn't scared of God, but he honored God. There's a very different thing to be scared of God and to be God-fearing or God-honoring. The fact that he was God honoring governed how he treated his wife, how he treated his kids, how he treated his finances, how he treated his business relations, 
it governed every single thing that he did. And let me ask you this. Can you say that? This man was not perfect, but he was exceptional in character. He ran from evil and he ran from sin. The Bible goes on and says he had seven sons and three daughters. It's interesting. Seven, you know, is the number of completion or perfection. And um, he had seven sons and he had three kids. His kids had a great relationship with one another. They were happy kids. He parented them so well that his home was harmonious. You know, I think of my kids and it's like they fight over cheeses when they get home. And I'm sure there was some of that because they were humans. But it tells us in verse four, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Their family got along. He parented in such a way that there was harmony not just in his home, because these guys had left their homes and they were having feasts in their own homes. There wasn't bad blood or a bad relationship between them. And as a father figure, a lot of that is attributed to parenting and how they were raised. So he's got a great character, but he also has an amazing set of kids. His wife, we'll get to her another week, uh, but He has an amazing set of children. He had tons of possessions. Now, it's interesting to me that land was really not the thing that he possessed. He he possessed a bunch of livestock. His possessions, verse 3, also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Now, that's really important because donkeys were extremely valuable in this day. They were used to transport things. They were used to do, you know, all sorts of, you know, planting and things like that, just for their sheer strength. His livestock made him rich. Okay. The man was the greatest of all the men of the East, which means he was the most wealthy of all the men in the East. This is who this guy was. Like you read a little bit about him and you're like, geez, like (laughs) intimidation. You know, he's like one of these billionaires of his day. You know, I don't know what all these things would have meant monetarily, but I can tell you he was well-known, well-respected, probably some sort of a celebrity in the land of Uz because of this great wealth. This is important because not only does he have all of these things, Not only does he have this amazing family, he has everything that life could offer him. And he still reveres the Lord. A lot of times we'll get what we want or we'll have everything that we want or we're just praying for that one thing and that's exactly what we want. And then we get it and God's like, we we kind of forget about the Lord. But God was very much a part of his daily routine and this is why. Verse five, when the days of feasting, when his sons would feast with his daughters, had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them. He knew how important covering his children is. He said this, he would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my son have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. It's important to understand the character of this guy because of what happens next. I chewed on this a lot because this is something, you know, that character is a big deal to me. Integrity is a huge deal to me. It's always been, it's always been a big deal to me. You know, telling the truth is a huge deal. Admitting your mistakes is a huge deal to me. And as I look through this, you know, you kind of feel like there's got to be something off here. Like, you know, where is it? He was not perfect because nobody was but Jesus, but he was a righteous man. And then all hell broke loose in his life. Let me go on to the next point. It's important to know the context of the character so that you can know the rest of the story. Now, verse six, 
There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also came among them. Now, I think that this is important. The Bible just sets up who this guy is and you're like intimidated by him and he's like, you know, amazing and he's doing all this great business and he is a man of integrity and he loves his kids, he loves his wife, all of the things. And it immediately shifts from this guy is amazing to this scene in heaven. And this is kind of where I want to camp, okay? We have this scene in heaven where the sons of God, or in my study, the angels, came to pay God a visit, okay? So I don't know if they were invited, but they definitely came and they showed up before the Lord and they wanted to have a conversation with them, probably reporting on what they had done for the Lord as far as the tasks that the Lord sent them on. Now we know in Psalm 91, the Bible says that he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. So angels are messengers. There's all different kinds of different main angels in scripture. You can study the theology of angels. But the sons of God is probably relating to angels coming and giving a report of what's happening. Now, does God know? Absolutely. But they are accountable to God for their assignment. So they're reporting back to God. Who came along with them? Satan. Now, he is a fallen angel. We know that he used to be an angel, the most beautiful of all angels, and pride got him, you know, cast out of heaven along with one third of the angels, okay? But he has an audience with God. This is true. This is, you know, we know this all throughout the Bible. He gets to go before the throne room of God and have conversations with God. And this was one of those special days when he came along with everyone reporting back, probably on what they had done, maybe to listen. I don't really know. But the Lord does something unbelievable with Satan, and he strikes up a conversation with Satan. Now, Satan is also accountable to God. Everything is under God's dominion, okay? Satan is also accountable to him. But God flips the script here. And this is where things begin to happen that faithful people question. Listen, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Verse seven, the Lord said to Satan, now Satan is not allowed really to speak to God unless God you know, wants to talk to him. So the Lord strikes up this conversation. From where did you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around it. Now the Bible also tells us that the Lord walks to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is truly his. It's interesting here that Satan does the same thing, but his is to, this is important, see whose heart is not truly his. Here we see the enemy doing the same thing God does. God is looking for whose hearts are faithful. Satan is looking for, for whose hearts aren't. And we know that from 1 Peter 5, 8, when it says, and Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking, he's looking for those he may devour. God looks for good. Satan looks for a crack in the wall. How can he get in to destroy someone's life, steal, kill, and destroy, and destroy someone's faith? This is so good. Verse 8. The Lord again addressed Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is where it gets really, really good because we think to ourselves, that's mean. Why would God throw his boy under the bus like that? There are four reasons I'm going to talk about at the end of today. But God begins this discourse on purpose to prove multiple points. Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He goes on and says, for there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless, it's the same thing Job 1.1 1, 1 says about him. Blameless, 
upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because God just describes the exact thing that Job 1.1 says about him. What God does in this moment is fascinating to me. God baits Satan himself. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on earth, a blameless, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. God baits the great baiter and wonders, is he going to take the bait? I want to set up why Job's name means hated. As soon as Satan heard this, and Lord, let me give it to them the way you gave it to me. As soon as Satan heard this, you want to use a current term, it triggered him. Satan does not like the faithful. Faith pleases God. Satan hates faith. So when God is saying, he's blameless, Satan, he's upright, he fears me, he turns away from evil, immediately Satan is so triggered. Because there is nothing more that he hates. There's nothing more that God loves, but there's nothing more that he hates. So it made him mad. But it was on purpose. God baited the great baiter. He goes on and he follows. I want to say this before I move on. Job was not just famous on earth. Job was famous in heaven. Job's name was not just great on earth. Job's name was great in heaven. Do you understand that God never said, hey, Satan, have you heard of my boy, Job Miles? He didn't use the last name. He didn't have to. Because when the name of Job was spoken in heaven, everybody knew who God was talking about. Because faith gets you recognized in the throne room of heaven. Faith does that. Being upright does that. I don't know about you, but I want to be famous in heaven. That's what I want. You know, you can take your fame down here. I want to be famous in heaven. When my name is spoken up in heaven, when there's millions of autumns that have, have crossed to and fro across this earth, I want when the name autumn is spoken in heaven, everybody knows who it is. Job was valuable in the visible and the invisible, in the temporal and the eternal. The reason his name is Job is because Satan hated him and persecuted him because he stood for everything that he was against. I don't know about you, but that does something to me. It does something to me. This perspective, to me, I hate it when I cry. Mike loves it, but I hate it. This perspective, to me, makes perseverance worthwhile. He wasn't just known in the land of Uz in the east. He was known by every creature, the sons of God, standing before God himself, knew exactly who God was talking to and talking about when he said, have you considered Job? Satan immediately answered, but I want you to sit in that for a minute to you faithful ones. Being faithful is hard, pastor out there. Being faithful is hard when you're fighting against people in your church that don't understand the vision and didn't hear from God the way you have. Faith is hard when you're up against something that literally needs a miracle to overcome. Faith is hard. But when you know heaven is talking about you and they're having a conversation and the conversation is not gossip and, you know, bad and negative. It is this. 
Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him. On the earth, verse 8, a blameless, upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's the conversation they're having. So lest you think your faithfulness, your fear of God, your turning away from evil, your blamelessness, your uprightness is all for naught. It's those type of people in heaven that they're talking about. It's those kind of people up in heaven that they're cheering for. It's those kind of people up in heaven that are celebrities up there. Stay the course. He was famous in both. May we, may we have that kind of honor in the throne room of heaven. Makes perseverance all worthwhile. Oh, I hate it when I cry, but we're going to do it. We're going to rock it out. Verse 9 says this. Satan was just triggered. Because God said, have you considered him? He's everything you're not. So have you considered him? Could you contend with him? He's everything you should be, but you're not. You chose otherwise. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Oh my goodness. His response was, does Job fear God for nothing? This is crafty. This is genius on the part of the enemy because the enemy had considered Job. He had. But what he saw was an untouchable guy who God had blessed so much and protected so much. He could not rail on his immorality, on his wickedness, or anything like that. So Satan tried to discredit Job for being good. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you. Satan had considered him. As he was walking to and fro back and forth from the earth, he had considered him. But this is something I want you to know. Satan sees the hedge. He sees the protection. He sees that the hedge of protection that God has on his special set apart children is stronger than Satan's power itself. He knows when he sees a believer and there is this hedge of protection that surrounds everything that he has. Do you think that he had not tried to mess with Job? He did. But this whole conversation means that as he was walking to and fro on the earth, he actually circled the hedge and he looked at it and he surveyed it and he thought, is there any cracks here? Can I get in here? Because there's nothing more that I would like to do than discredit the integrity of this guy because he's the best in the East. He's the most favored in all of the East. I want to mess with this guy. Satan had surveyed the hedge and it was impenetrable. There is a hedge of protection. We talk about Psalm 91. I read Psalm 91 last night in prayer. And the Bible talks about, let me just read it. It is, it literally saved my life years ago. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, a fortress. The hedge is your fortress. My God in whom I trust. Verse four, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you may seek refuge. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands that you don't strike your foot against a stone. There is a hedge of protection that God puts around 
his people. Satan saw the hedge. He didn't bother messing with him. Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. He knew he couldn't devour Job because of the protection. The hedge was stronger than his power. So the enemy does something crazy here. He can't discredit him for his evil. So he discredits him for his good and he starts accusing him. He's been so good. Well, who wouldn't be good? Who wouldn't be faithful? Who wouldn't love you, God? If you gave him everything he wanted, it's your fault, God. So he starts accusing God. Let me read it. Have you not made a hedge of protection by him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You did this, God. Of course he loves you. Everyone loves people that blesses them all the time. This conversation is crazy. How many of you have been faithful, have done the thing? You've stood up for the Lord. You prayed. You've been, you've been people of integrity. You've forsaken evil. You're blameless, upright. You fear God, all of the things. And you have a crazy thought like, am Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for God? I mean, I've been blameless, but is God actually blessing me or am I doing this? How many of you guys have heard from friends that have belittled you because of your integrity? How many people have chastised you because you wouldn't dare do something, not because you're judging someone, just because you're not interested in doing that. How many of you guys out there that have been faithful to the Lord have been chastised because of what you do? When the enemy cannot find anything to accuse you of with evil, he will take the good that you have done and turn it in to something that is only done because God has been good to you. He will question your motive rather than questioning your character. And that's exactly what he did before God. He couldn't accuse him of being bad, so he accused him on being good. And he set out to show Job a hypocrite. He goes on and he says, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face, to your face. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Really, God, if you let anything happen to him, you know he's going to turn his back on you. You know he's going to forsake you. You just let anything happen to him, God. He's going to forsake you. God said, go. All that he has is in your power, but don't put your hand on him. This is where things get a little bit tricky, a little bit like, what? All that the enemy wanted to do in the next 41 chapters of Job is to prove that Job only loved God for what he could get out of him. I don't know if he believed it or not. I don't know. He might have believed that that was the only reason he loved God. His sole purpose was to destroy the very fabric of Job's faith when he left the presence of God. The only thing he set out to do was to tear him down so much that he would recant, stop, and ultimately curse God. So he set out to do that. But Satan had a limit. God put him on a leash. And the leash was God's boundaries that he set for the enemy. I want to just, you know, talk you through a little bit of this today, just in an application sense, 
Job was handpicked to go through what we'll talk about next week, a nightmare. Uh, Worse than a nightmare. Like a bunch of nightmares all at the same time. He was handpicked by God. Some of us are going through nightmares right now and we're going, what in the world? And all you can think about, listen, what wakes you up at night, what what gives you anxiety during the day is, God, where are you? Where, where have you gone? I've been faithful to you, Lord. I'm there. I do the thing. You know, my heart. I try to have the cleanest heart possible before you. I turn away from evil. And some of you guys are wondering, where in the world are these things coming from? They're not coming from God. As we'll see next week, but I want to talk to you about this here for a second. This is going to sound crazy, but Job was chosen. The things that Job is getting ready to go through, not everyone could have survived. He was handpicked and he was chosen. Because, not because of sin, because he was a man of integrity, because he was upright, because he feared God, because he turned away from evil. He was chosen, much like the Son of God was chosen to endure. This doesn't sit right with a lot of people. I get it. It doesn't sit right with me half the time. But what we're going to see in the next few weeks is the unfolding of why. God chose Job because unlike Satan, Satan thought he would recant his faith, he would curse him, and he would be done. But the reason God offered up Job, hear me, faithful one, the reason God offered up Job is because God knew his heart. God knew he wouldn't. God knew what was actually in his heart. Where Satan could only accuse and assume that he was going to recant, God knew he wouldn't. So this assignment for Job, this, dare I say, purpose for Job was a holy one. It's interesting how people look at our lives, and we're going to talk about Job's friends. People look at our lives and they're like, what did you do? Eddie and I went through 10 years ago, we went through a series of incredibly hard things. And we were faithful. We knew. We knew we were clinging to the Lord. We were faithful. We went through a lot of hard things. And I remember one of our friends, in quotation marks, said, "Um, what did you guys do? Like, what? I wish I would have had this message to throw back at them. We didn't do anything. But we were chosen for an assignment. We're going to unfold in the next few weeks these things. Why did God allow the lamb to be fed to the lion? Number one, his glory. Number two, the honor of Job. Number three, the explanation of providence. Number four, the encouragement to afflicted people throughout the ages. You wonder why bad things happen to good people. They're chosen. That doesn't make it easier. We're going to see Job have a big old mouth on him pretty soon. Satan thought he would turn away. God knew that he wouldn't. And it preached. And it's preaching today. And it's preaching to you right now. And it's preaching to me. He's in good company. Peter, Moses, and Paul. Oh, my gosh. All the disciples. Jesus are all in this same boat. They were chosen to go through extremely difficult things because God knew they would be faithful. Satan's whole goal and everything that you're going through right now is found in Job 111. If you know you've been faithful, listen to this. He says, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan's whole goal is to get in between you 
and your relationship with God. This is why when you're going through something hard, you don't want to pray. This is why when you're faced with the trial, the first thing you think of is, did God forget me? And this is why it's so hard and we get mad at God. This very one thing is why. Because some portion of our hedge has been removed. Satan gets in there and he's like, I'm going to make them turn their backs on the Lord. But let me tell you something. When you know that that is his goal, you know how to protect yourself against it. This is what I've said in the last couple of weeks. Where would I go, God? Where would I go? I don't know why you're allowing this stuff in my life, but where am I going to go? You are the most faithful, most good, most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. And you will bring good out of this one day, even though the now is hard and bad. Where would I go? Remember, as whatever you're going through, faithful one, the enemy's goal is to separate you from God. Fight it. God knows. His grace is powerful. His mercy is new every. God knows how to restore better than any force on this earth. God knows how to reward. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God knows how to bless. God knows how to multiply. So what you're going through now, faithful one, has those things attached in the end. That's exactly what happened to Job. If that's you, I hope this encouraged you today and maybe gave you some, aha, cling to the Lord. And let's learn about Job in these next few weeks. God, we love you today. I praise you for these fresh perspectives on him. I praise you for the perspective that we can persevere when we know, hey, we're famous in heaven. We don't even need a last name up there. I pray for that one that is on the verge of giving up, giving in, turning their back on you. I pray, Lord Jesus, Spirit of the living God, that you would snatch them right back. I pray for a new, fresh awareness of what you're doing in someone's life. I pray for a new perspective, an aha moment, a light bulb going off. Job was chosen because he was faithful, because he wouldn't give it up, not because he wasn't. I pray that resonates today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'll see you after the break. Hope you enjoyed that. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go. Hey guys, it's Autumn and I want to know family, what is God doing in your life? If you have a recent praise report about God's faithfulness, we all want to know about it. I want to know, my team wants to know, and your brothers and sisters in Christ that listen to this show want to know. You can share your story by emailing hello at autumnmiles.com or you can direct message me on Facebook or Instagram by searching autumnmiles at the top of the page. I want to hear about it, guys. Let's tell the world what God is doing in your life so we all can be encouraged by your journey of faith. Are you new to this whole Jesus thing and don't know where to start? Or maybe you've been following him for a while and you want to dig deeper into the word of God. Then you've come to the right place. Each month, Autumn hosts an online in-depth Bible study through Facebook Live called The Jesus Initiative. The Jesus Initiative is a monthly spiritual challenge to anyone willing to join and grow deeper in their faith. She covers topics such as how to wait when waiting is hard, moving forward in faith even when you're terrified, and how to combat the spiritual warfare in your mind. Autumn's desire is to help break down complex topics in a way that's easy for everyone to understand and implement into their everyday lives. The goal of the Jesus Initiative is to tackle real-life topics in a real-life way, grounded in the Word of God. Understanding the things of God doesn't have to be hard. If you're a believer who wants to grow in your faith and strengthen your relationship with God, these Bible studies will challenge you in all the right ways. Simply search Autumn Miles on Facebook or follow her on Instagram at 
at Autumn Miles and click the follow button so you can stay in the loop for when the next Bible study starts. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Okay, guys, we're back. I hope you like that week two coming next week. I cannot wait to get there. Whew, it's going to be a doozy. Here's our question for this week. Do you have advice on how to lovingly shut down gossip when someone brings it up in conversation? Venting a frustration about someone and calling them names is still gossip, but sometimes it's not labeled as that. And it can be difficult to know how to biblically stop it from going any further. Any tips? Yes, I have lots of tips. I despise gossip. I hate it. I despise it. A couple of tips. Number one, most of us know who in our life is a gossip, okay? (laughs) Most of you guys can say, so-and-so, they're a gossip. There is a boundary that I set with people who I know is a gossip um, or who likes to talk or who likes to, you know, whatever, you know, like, I'm so frustrated with so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Gossip isn't good for anyone. It's not good. It's worse for the one who gossips than actually who they're gossiping about, in my opinion. If someone comes up to me and they start gossiping, I immediately, you know, understand that if they're gossiping about them to me, then they're gossiping about me to somebody else. So there is an awareness that immediately sort of strikes in my spirit when someone comes up and gossips to me. Number one, identify who is a gossip in your life and put up a boundary. And this could be as simple as this. I just want you to know that I've just come to this realization that I want to be really careful with my words. I don't really want to hear anything negative about anyone. I don't want to talk about anyone. And I'm just kind of letting people know that I've just been really convicted about this and I want to start fresh. That's a boundary, especially to that person that you know tends to be a gossip. You then have a moment when this person begins to gossip that you can go back to. Hey, remember that conversation that we had? I'm really, really trying to honor the Lord and what I hear and what I listen to. I don't know. I just kind of feel like this is a little negative, maybe a little gossipy. I just kind of really would like to shut this down. Can we talk about something else? That is how you create a boundary. Now, you don't have to do this with anyone because not all of our friends are gossips, you know. But the ones that tend to go gossipy, If you're trying to start fresh, practically, there needs to be kind of a line in the sand drawn. You don't have to be weird about it. You just have to say, I'm trying to do things better. You know, gossip is not something that, you know, it's a sin. The Bible calls it a sin. So I'm I'm really trying to stay away from that. I want to honor people. I want people to honor me. Have that conversation. And once you do, you'll be able to refer back to it in the future. And before long, they'll know you're not a safe place to gossip anymore. That would be my um, answer to that. I've done this myself in my own personal life. Isn't that good? I feel like sometimes all we need to do is have a simple conversation. Okay, we have an awesome testimony. You recently ask what God was doing in our lives. I ask it every week. This is a great one. Well, my rib was out and got fixed with chiropractor and a massage. That sounds awesome. I did a detox and broke out in a full body rash. Then my car died. My motor was shot and thought we needed to buy a new car, but we couldn't afford it with five kids. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And our pastor offered a vehicle to us, but we think God can fix it. And God did. I'm in tears at how good he is to me again and again. Listen, I don't know about you, but it is so good to know when you're, you know, the mechanic says there's nothing we can do. We have to, you have to get a new car. And you think, nope, I think, I think God's told me he's got a couple of years and then God comes through. What an amazing testimony. 
I hope that this is encourages you out there. God still cares about things like cars and ribs and um, everything else, a full body rash and all this kind of stuff. God cares about all of those things. Take those things to him. He is so good and he is so faithful. I love you guys so much. I hope this encouraged you today. I cannot wait to see you next week for week two of Job. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Autumn Miles Show. To find out more, go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, you can check out the many resources that Autumn has available, from her books and past episodes to her video series. We've got all the tools you need to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God. Once again, that's autumnmiles.com. To get connected and for more encouraging content, you can follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. We appreciate your prayers and support for this ministry. It's because of you that we have been able to impact millions of people worldwide and that we can continue to serve those who need to hear Autumn's message of victory and promise. Find out how you can come alongside us when you go to autumnmiles.com. Just search the top of the index for the support tab. Thank you for listening in today and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Autumn Miles Show.